Welcome back to the program. While the world is changing around us, while creative destruction consumes so many areas, sometimes it seems like education stagnates. After all, many, if not most, of our schools still operate in a manner designed in an agrarian world, pre-internet, pre-technology, and long before we knew or understood how the brain was wired and how children or anyone else, for that matter, really learn. The good news is that we're beginning to seek progress. All across the country, bold, persistent experimentation is taking place that are creating schools that set the stage for the future of education. One such school is the Ron Clark Academy in Southeast Atlanta. It has been called one of the best schools in America. Its co-founder, Kim Bearden, has taught over 2,000 students, has been involved in virtually all aspects of education, and now she distills much of what she's learned in her new book, Crash Course, The Life Lessons My Students Taught Me. Kim Bearden, thanks so much for joining us. Well, thank you. I love that intro, too. I love what you said. Well, thanks so much for being with us today. really appreciate it. Talk a little bit about what the world was like when you first started teaching, when you first got involved in education. When I began teaching 27 years ago, you know, I was handed a textbook, and I was appointed in the direction of my classroom, and I was just told to walk in there and impart knowledge. That was basically all that was given to me, all the tools that were given to me. I went to a wonderful university. I knew a lot about my content, but how to deliver that, how to make it come alive, how to bring passion to the classroom, those weren't really discussions that were had. And so that has been kind of my mission. You know, how do I not only impart knowledge, but how do I create a hunger, a thirst for knowledge that's what's important. And so that's what we try to do here at our school. We want classrooms where not only are kids taught what to think, but they're taught how to think, which is much more important because that's where the creativity comes and that's where kids are, are taught to be lifelong long learners. And talk about the experience of starting the school, starting any kind of a school, especially one as innovative as Ron Clark Academy. It's not an easy undertaking. Oh, my goodness, no. You know, if to be honest with you, if I had known how difficult it would be, I don't know if I would have been brave enough to do it. You know, <laughs> well, I, I, Ron Clark and I met in the year 2000. We were both Disney Teacher of the Year, and he was a very dynamic, charismatic person. And some of your listeners may have heard of him now, but at that point, no one had ever heard of him. And um, I just was very taken with his passion, his enthusiasm. We became fast friends, and he said, we should start a school together one day. Teachers often say that. You know, if I had my own school, this would be what I would do, but never really thought it would happen. But... Um, in the year 2004, we sat down and had a really serious discussion. It took us three years from that day that we said, we're really going to do this until we opened our doors. And so it took a lot of, you know, a lot of financial support, a lot of, you know, creating our board, a lot of, you know, what is the mission vision? How are we going to be distinctive from every other school out there? You know, what is it we're going to do that's going to make us a dynamic place where kids will want to come and where people want to support our mission? So it was about a three-year process just to even open our doors. And tell us about the mission and and during that three-year period the way the mission the direction what you really wanted to accomplish the way that evolved well what we said both of us had had extensive experience going and training educators in addition to being classroom teachers we were both people who would be hired to go out to districts and, and you know share with them these are innovative teaching methods these are ways that you connect with kids what we realized was that we were talking about what it sh education should look like but we didn't have anything where people could actually look and see what does it really look like to sit and experience it. So this idea hatched, what if we had a school where we opened our doors and we allowed educators from all over to actually come in and sit in our classrooms and watch these methods being implemented? seems so obvious. It seems like something we should do in education. You know, if you're going to be a surgeon, you watch master surgeons. If you're going to be, you know, a, a builder, you're going to watch other builders. In our field, that doesn't happen. You're told what to do, but you're not able to actually watch others doing it. 
And so we said, we will open our doors. We'll get the very best educators we can find from around the country, invite them to come teach, and then open our doors. And so that's what we've done. We've created this model school of what we think a school should be. Educators come, and they sit in our classrooms, watch our methods, and take them out. So hopefully they bring them back to their classrooms. In the past seven years, at this point, over 22,000 educators from across the country and actually around the world have sat in our classrooms and taken our methods back to their classrooms, hopefully, and make change. So we're trying to create this ripple effect. We're not only affecting the kids who come to school in this building, but we're trying to affect classrooms everywhere. And as you've done that, talk a little bit about how you've learned and, and other teachers have learned and evolved as a result of the interaction in the classroom and the input from those that are watching. You know, there are three things that we, you know, in, in society often we focus test scores, test scores, test, test scores are one measure. I mean, we have really phenomenal test scores, but I think where we get confused is people focus on the test. What we do is we say, what are we going to focus on that is good teaching and good learning? <laughs> what are those best practices? And then the test scores will come. So we focus on student engagement. How is every single child in that class going to be engaged in the learning process? We like to say no child is allowed to be invisible at this school. Now, I see you you're going to be a part of this learning process. The other piece is we're very academically rigorous. We set high, high expectations for learning, and that's something I, I speak a lot about in the book. You know, if, even a child who has struggles and challenges, you don't lower your expectations. You teach them differently. You find ways to reach that child, and if you lower expectations, what you're really saying is, you know what, I don't think you can do it. I don't believe in you. And so we say, I believe you can achieve this. I'm, going to, I'm not going to just set the expectation, though. I'm going to find ways to help you get there. And then the third thing is the climate and culture of this school. This school is a joyful, happy place. It is full of passion and excitement. We laugh, we sing, we dance. There's all kinds of things, but it's also very strict. We are one of the strictest schools you'll ever step foot in. So those are three pillars, engagement, rigor, climate, and culture. We've learned that all the things we do, if we kind of uh, put it down into those three categories, that helps educators really understand and wrap their heads around. These are areas, if I focus on these, then the student achievement piece is what's going to follow. Talk about the balance, though, the balance, for example, between the rigor on the one hand and, the, and on the other, allowing the students to learn and express themselves in ways that are indigenous to them. I think it has to be completely even. I think that they have to have equal amounts of both. Um, when you are able to really explore teaching things in many different ways and letting kids express their knowledge in many different ways, the depth of learning is even greater. Now, there's a lot of research shows that, you know, if kids learn things in a way that's either creative, useful, or emotional, there's a much greater likelihood that they'll convert to long-term memory. You know, it's not just something, you know, we all, when, as kids, I'm sure you did the same thing. You know, you would go home, memorize your notes the night before test, spit them out on the test, and then you would dump that knowledge if it wasn't something that you were emotionally connected to or that you really had an experience learning. And that's been happening since the beginning of time. And, and I don't want my kids to do that. I want them to have a connection with the information. I want them to have memories connected to it. I want them to have feelings, you know, and, and be passionate about what they learned so that, you know, 20 years from now they can go, oh, I still remember the day we learned about this in my class because. And so that's a very vital piece of it, not just giving them notes and saying memorize these and, and, and learn it for the test. I want them to experience the curriculum. I want them to interact with it in a way that makes it a part of them forever. And talk about the ways in which you've done that at Ron Clark Academy, the ways in which you've, you've really created an environment supporting this idea of deeper learning. Well, each one of us has our own. One of the beautiful things is that when educators come here, they don't just watch me teach. They, they watch Ron teach. They watch several teachers teach. And we all have our own little unique bag of tricks, so to speak. But I'm kind of known for I want to expose my kids to the world beyond the classroom walls. You know, many of my students 
if they didn't come here, maybe they wouldn't be able to have the opportunities that they have at the school. So I try to change and connect them with the real world. So I'll do many creative things, such as, like, I'll teach them punctuation. I mean, how boring could that be? But I convert my classroom into a, uh, an Italian restaurant, and they punctuate using pasta. Or, <laughs> or when I'm teaching them about uh, gram- uh, grammar, I have a hospital. I change my classroom, in and I... And I uh, teach them about grammarians who've lost their parts of speech and they become surgeons and they're doing operations or I'll create a thunderstorm and we do descriptive writing or I have a fashion show where they learn about marketing and advertising and do descriptive writing but it's all tacky clothes. You know, it's just crazy things like that and it's not things that are expensive. If any teachers are listening going, oh, I don't have the budget for that. This is like with found items, paper, plastic. It's just how you weave the magic. You know, how is it that you bring those ideas into the classroom and make learning come to life? I have kids I taught, you know, 25 years ago who will say, oh, I still remember when your classroom was another planet, you know, and, and I'll say, well, what did you learn that day? And they can always tell me. So that tells me that that connection is being made that makes it really something that becomes a part of them. And what are some of the other methods that, that other teachers in the school are using, the other ways in which they're approaching similar kinds of, of situations? You know, music is a big part of our school throughout every single classroom. You know, every one of us can remember song lyrics from 20 years ago when you hear a song on the radio. We use a lot of music, not just to sing and dance and play, but music to actually teach the academic content and those rigorous things that students have to commit to memory. We also use a lot of debate here. We use a lot of um, students discussing their ideas. Every student in this school, no matter whether you're introverted or extroverted, introversion is is a wonderful personality type, but you still want your voice to be heard. So kids here are are taught that they have to get up, they have to speak about ideas, they can't have notes, they have to be able to give impromptu speeches on topics. Every single kid is expected to do that on a regular basis. Um, There's a lot of things with movement, a lot of things, hands-on type activities. So it's a a lot of real-world experiences where we try to engage kids. We'll even uh, try to sometimes take them, for example, you know, the science teacher took the kids to a Porsche dealership, just with that cost nothing, but it was like, but they went in there and the mechanics gave them this whole science lesson on mechanics while they were standing underneath these Porsches, you know, up on these lifts. I mean, how cool was that? Every kid in the class couldn't, you know, these boys were just completely mesmerized or, you know, so fun things. Even my math teacher taught geometry using a pool table. You know, she was teaching them all about angles, and these kids thought it was the most wonderful, creative thing, but then it made the angles make sense. So there's ways that you can be creative with things that kids love, things that kids are interested in, bring that into the classroom to make that a part of their learning. Are there teachers that you've run into over the years that have come in to, to look at the school, to look at the methods, that just don't get it, that don't understand this way of teaching and this, this aspect of learning? Yes, yes. You know, there certainly, you know, one of the things that we tell teachers when they come here is say, look, we all have different personality types even in this building, but we still all are big on engagement, rigor, climbing culture. You may not be the type of person, you know, Ron is constantly jumping up on top of the desk. You may say, I will never jump up on top of a desk, (laughs) and that's okay. Don't focus on what you can't do, but focus on what you can. Surely there is something that we have taught you today, whether it's even about maybe integrating more movement into the classroom, or maybe sometimes it's even subtle things. Like we teach teachers that you should make eye contact with every child when you're teaching a lesson. That seems so obvious, but it doesn't happen. Many teachers will look at the back wall or they'll look at the board and they'll speak to the board. But if you're actually taking the time to look in the eye of every single student, you're saying, I see you. You know, I'm making that connection with you. I want to understand and look in your eyes to see, is there that aha or do you look completely lost? Some of those little subtle techniques, I mean, teachers will learn about 150 of those even subtle things about movement, keeping kids on task, how um, their energy level affects the learners, that kind of thing. 
And, you know, yes, I would be lying. I said every teacher is going to take it back because, unfortunately, you know, we do have some teachers who aren't receptive to learning. Many are those. So most who come here are so hungry because they want those tools to be better at what they do. And what about the parents? How do they grasp this approach that's very different in most cases from what they personally experience? You know, it's vital to have a, a great deal of parent communication. And we, we talk to schools a lot about how do you get parents engaged? How do you get parents engaged who've never been engaged before? You know, and one part of that, sometimes those parents who are disengaged, it's because, honestly, they had negative experiences in school themselves. And so when they walk into a school, it's a very uncomfortable feeling and they have a lot of emotional baggage that comes with it. You know, it's very, very rare that it's a parent who does not love the child. Sometimes the parent just doesn't know what else to do or how to be better at what they do. So we do a lot. We visit actually the homes of our students before they are enrolled. By every student in this school, I've been to their home once. And that takes a long time during the summer to do that. But what it does, it's not like I'm going to check out their home. But the conversation is, you know, I know that you're going to be a very involved parent this year. I was kind of speaking it into existence before it happened. You know, I was like, I know you're going to be very involved and I want to thank you in advance for that. And just to show you how committed we are to in our part, wanted to come here and let you know that, you know, that you're going to become the school, but I wanted to come to you this first time, let you know that we're a team. And we ask that the student be there when we do that. And so the student also, they're kind of like, wow, this this school really cares about me. They're actually coming to the house. So we try to do a lot of things up front to establish that relationship and talk very clearly about the expectations we have and to have positive interactions so that when there is a problem, you've already got that relationship and the teacher, the parent will trust the teacher. The parent trusts us because they, we've already built a bond before, you know, perhaps if there is a problem. How do you and Ron and the other teachers in the school, how do you keep your energy and enthusiasm up year after year doing this? You know, um, I will, it is hard. I'm not going to lie. It is hard. I drink way too much Diet Coke. <laughs> I'm honest with you. <laughs> but, but I will tell you that on the days when I have um, very little energy, you still have to go in and you have to dig deep and you have to put that out there when you're teaching that class. I teach language arts every day in addition to running the school. And so I have to sometimes actually kind of fake it a little bit as far as, you know, putting out a lot of energy that I'm not feeling on the inside. But when I do that, I get that back in return. It's amazing how I'll start off the class feeling exhausted, but if I'm like, all right, y'all, today's going to be a great day, well, then my kids are more engaged, and then next thing I know, I feel more energetic, more excited. If I were to go just sit at my desk, I'm going to fall asleep too, you know? So I have to be energetic, engaged. But the other piece of that is what we've done is we're very big on surrounding ourselves with people who are like-minded. And I think that's a huge thing is the more you can surround yourself with those dedicated teachers, those teachers who do have it, that passion, on days when maybe I'm not 100%, I know that I've got a team of people who's got my back, you know, and, and we try to really work hard to build this culture within our staff, too. That's a big piece of it that we have to support each other to be able to do the vital work that we do. Tell us a little bit about how this, and you talk about this in Crash Course, how this experience has impacted you and your life and other areas outside of the classroom. You know, it has just taught me so much about humanity, about people. You know, I, on so many levels, there's so many lessons I've learned from my students about resiliency, about um, generosity, about appreciation, about the importance of giving back. You know, when things are going terribly wrong, sometimes the greatest thing you can do is go out and do something for someone else. And then and, and as a result, you actually pull yourself through. And one of the greatest things I've also learned is that, you know, I am a white woman, a middle-aged white woman from suburbia, and I teach predominantly African-American students at the school now. And so I've learned so much about that, about the importance of 
that we all have to do a better job with having insight into people who are different than we are. You know, I think that sometimes we say, oh, I don't see color, I don't see color. But at this school, we say, you know what, we do see color because if I don't see your color, I don't see your culture. You know, I will never know what it is to be a young black male, and I couldn't pretend to, but I can seek to understand it, and we can have those conversations. I think as a, as a society, we've got to learn to do better to have those racial conversations about what we think is our perspective and what others' perspectives are so that we can come to, you know, some kind of understanding about each other. Um, this appreciation part, too, it's been kind of wonderful. I speak a lot in the book about um, one thing that we do with our students is we work very hard to raise funds, and we take them to Soweto, South Africa, every year. And there's still, although apartheid is long gone, there are still tremendous disparities and inequities there to there. And one thing that you don't even know yet is that um, as I've been there four different times, I, you know, I, I've, I've grown, the, the children of Soweto, they don't have material things. They don't have the textbooks. They don't have the Internet. They don't have resources. But... The power of relationships is what motivates and drives them, and the joy they have, the laughter. And so for four years, this has just been something that remained with me. And this June, uh, three little boys from Soweto, South Africa, are now part of my family. They actually came to live with me. Um, so that's not in the book. It's the postscript to the book. But um, I have three boys who will be attending the school here. They're 12 years old, and um, we're living in some very unfortunate conditions there. And so... They are the newest addition to uh, my family, and we'll be attending here at school at the, at the academy. But I think all of us and our families here said we're getting more out of this than the boys are. So it's been a wonderful thing. Talk about the desire to replicate what it is you're doing there at the academy. Ah, uh, So we don't want to have other Ron Clark academies, but what we want to do is we want to replicate the methods because we think that we can have a more far-reaching effect if we are able to actually affect those teachers and those leaders in those schools that are already there. And so that's why we open our doors. So if, you know, the teachers who have been here, they affect 10 million children around the world. Now, do all of those teachers do everything that we've taught them? No. But we'd like to think when we've done research and we've done some case studies and everything, the significant amount of them are doing more with student engagement research, they do, uh, the rigor. They are doing um, best practices at a much higher level than before they came here. There's actually been 42 states, 22 countries around the world who have sent educators here. So this tiny little warehouse in southeast Atlanta, we, we like to see that we're, we're trying to spread this idea to really have a global effect if possible. And to what extent do you see education around the country beginning to change, to implement, and really take into account some of these ideas we've been talking about? I think that there are pockets. I think that you'll, you will find pockets, you will find schools that are doing things brilliantly. I think you will see schools that are fighting to do things brilliantly but are very frustrated. And so um, I think that one of the things that, that we hope to do here and, and we need to do more of in our country is highlighting those things that are going well. You know, I think that, that is, we're very quick to see, unfortunately, you know, there are schools that don't do things well and those sure do get into the media and they should be exposed, you know, so that things change. But we've got to do a better job, I think, of finding those schools where they're getting it right. They're reading the needs of all different types of kids. Their kids are achieving at high levels. Kids are exceeding their potential and spotlight it so that others can see what they're doing too. You know, we've been very blessed that we've gotten a lot of immediate, a lot of media attention at our school and people coming to see what we do, but there are other schools that are doing things well too. Um, one of the things that I see, is, you know, I'm able to interact with thousands of educators a year. One of the things that concerns me is that I do think there's a spirit of brokenness, you know, among many of the adults, just that they're overwhelmed, they feel powerless, they feel um, that they can't get it right, they feel like people look down on the profession. You know, there's this, 
and it's very hard for broken adults to help broken children. You know, and so that's sort of where the book came from as well, is that although I'm very big on the science of teaching, I also believe very firmly in the artistry of teaching and that connecting with the passion and, and the importance of the significant impact you have on kids. And so a lot of those stories are kind of designed to help people reconnect with that importance, not just classroom teachers, but anybody, that, you know, the influence that we have on kids and, and by watching them and their resilience and what they do, it can and help us all really understand how to live better lives. And finally, talk a little bit about the outcomes, what you've seen in terms of kids that have graduated from the school. Ah, so very exciting for us. We actually stay involved. Our, our very first group of students, we are, a K, uh, sorry, we are a fifth through eighth grade. So our students after eighth grade, they go on to high schools all around the country. Um, many of our kids will go back to their public schools, but many of our kids choose to go to private institutions because it could change the trajectory of their opportunities for college. And so um, this, this past year, well, our very first year, our very first group of graduates received $832,000 in scholarships for high school. Uh, this past year, $2.1 million in scholarships for high school. So I have kids, about 30% of my kids have gone on to some of the top boarding schools in the country. Um, some of my others have gone on to some of the top day schools, and others have, have gone on to their wonderful neighborhood schools, but now they're in IB programs. They're, you know, they're at the top of the class. They're in the AP courses that perhaps maybe they wouldn't have been in before they came here. When our students come to us, I should have mentioned, they come, you know, all different ability levels. About a third had not had academic success before. About a third were right there in the middle, and then a third were doing well prior to coming here. But when they leave here, significant impact. So our very first group of students just graduated from high school, and they're all attending colleges across the country this year. Uh, one of them is a Gates Millennium Scholar and some um, other incredible, one of them's got a scholarship to NYU, and, and, and they're just going to some phenomenal schools, and I just can't wait to see the next step of what they achieve. Kim Bearden, the book is Crash Course, The Life Lessons My Students Taught Me. Kim, I thank you so much for spending time with us today. Thank you so much. You have a great day. Thank you. We'll take a break. I'll be right back. 